like the cab to get to where he needed to be. Hey, it's been a rough road, Bob. But it's good we still walking Even though it's from a distance It's good we still talking Temptation or stupidity I will never comprehend Forbidden fruit that you desired Could have made us lose it Welcome to Straight Outta Gibraltar, bringing you interviews and all the best music from the Gibraltar music scene. If you like what we do, like us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash music. Hey guys, welcome once again to Straight Out of Gibraltar. It's the start of the month, and obviously every month we actually have a guest to kick off our month on the show. And we've actually been tracking down this guest for quite a while now, but he's actually been, not really hesitant, but he's actually been willing to talk about his career and what he's actually achieved and what he's currently doing as well. So we welcome to the show, Chris Gavita. Welcome, Chris. Hi there. Hi, thanks for having me. It's uh, been a long time coming, I think. I think so, very long time. So how are you doing today, Chris, despite the weather outside? Fantastic, fantastic. Just looking forward to a good chat with you. So we look forward and we're going to go really back, way back and we're going to go modern as well. So tell us about your mo most earliest musical memory that you remember growing up. Um, well, I, I listened to music every, every single day, virtually from the day that I can remember, you know, going back uh, to when I was maybe 10 or 11. Um, I used to hear music constantly, I remember that. But um, it was only really when my dad bought me a, a guitar that I actually started getting a, a little bit more interested in, in, in what was out there and influences and that sort of thing, you know. So around about that, that age. And then um, I think I started, possibly started to listen to a lot of um, the John Peel BBC radio uh, sessions at the time because there wasn't really, you know, YouTube or anything like that there nowadays. Um, and uh, influences at the time, I, I heard a, a lot of guitarists, you know, from Santana to, you know, there was a lot of Eric Clapton, well, Cream at, at the time, and Jimi Hendrix really were the first really guys that I started to, uh, to listen to, really. Uh, what was it, would you say about Jimi Hendrix and even the likes of, um, like, even Eric Clapton that blew you away? Is it maybe because it was so different for the time, especially even when you look back on it now? Yeah, I think that that's exactly the, the thing, you know. I mean, I, uh, again, uh, for me, it was uh, a very unique experience not knowing what instrument they were playing, what not. I knew, probably knew, knew that he had a strat, but what, what, you know, what effects he was doing, what, how, you know, he used to come out with, noises that you'd say, I mean, is that coming from a guitar? How is it, how's that been done? So it was a, a lot of innovation going on um, in his playing. And, and clearly, you know, he took, he took um, London by, by storm in that, that uh, famous year that he, that, he, that he launched out there. So I think um, he's been um, one of the, those innovators that still 
when you hear him today, uh, it, it's still relevant. Yeah, it really is. And when you look back, I said jumping on sessions for people not aware, it was mostly the big time artists recording stuff very acoustic, which wasn't really heard of before as well. Yeah, um, but the, the John Peel also had um, a, 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 a side radio show, um, which I'm just, I'm just remembering now. I can't remember the exact name of it. And he used to play a lot of... Um, new and up-and-coming bands um, at the time. Um, and, you know, I remember listening to uh, Blue Oyster Cult, you know, and, and stuff that, like that, that that came out at that time, and, and he was predicting that they, that, that they were going to be big. And obviously, um, you know, in those days, the radio the yeah, DJs and presenters were, were, you know, could make or break an artist. So, um, so that was a very interesting period. And it's more interesting as well because it's, it was more less accessible as well in the sense that if you only had blues to cut once, Lord knows when you hear it again. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, so that 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 was a a really really rich um, period. I think um, you know very early seventies where I was sort of like. You know, trying to like a sponge. You know, trying to uh, absorb uh, as much as I possibly could. And then, obviously, locally, you had a lot of people who were, you know, playing in in bands and dancers, and you had other other musicians who were doing their their own thing. Young guys, you know, um, and you aspired to 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 possibly actually, um, you know, playing with them. But you had to have the passion for the for the for the instrument uh, to, to start off with, you know. So. Um, starting off with that, and then I just, you know, I went round um, listening to bands and, and and really taking taking it all in. And who would you say locally that really did that for you? Where you want to say, I'll continue playing guitar maybe till I can get to that level. Um, there were a lot of bands that did different things in those days, um, but uh, if there is one guy that really really hit me in terms of you know because. In those days, you couldn't go and, you know, or you probably could, but I, di- I didn't actually go to the UK and watch, you know, one of these concerts and you say, oh, well, you know, um, I, I see somebody, somebody live. So um, one of the first times I saw Andy Romo uh, on the guitar um, really, really hit me because um, it was so exquisitely played. His sound was, was, was so uh, amazing. Uh, and of course, he he had his his, his band uh, with him that that were that were amazing. So um, so I that that was perhaps one of the first bands that really really struck me as saying, wow, you know, that's really quality. Uh, and looking up um, to to try and, and get there. And obviously, the other one that at the time was was Jade, who'd um, done a few uh, gigs. There were there were there were different components at the at the time. Um, but I, I really, really, um, you know, aspired to at least have some connection, uh, and then um, I formed a small band um, with with a, with a few guys, and and had been listening to um, to good friends um, in uh, in, a, in a band called uh, Milestone that was formed um, at the time uh, where Peter Martinez used to used to play, um, and uh, it was just really. A, Accumulation of, of of things that I I was already a, a bit of an accomplished um, bedroom guitarist, yeah. if you want to call it that. No? Uh, and then I, I I don't know how it happened, but I I sort of um, heard that, that Jade were were looking for 
like a rhythm guitarist or lead guitarist to share duties with Ernest Rivagliati. And, and I was, I was, you know, quite young. I can't remember. It was six, seventeen, or something like that. Um, and I went to an audition, and they said, "Yeah, yeah, come on, come on board," you know. Um, and it really that first version of uh, of Jade really started from from there. Um, and in we played. Um, all the usual sort of like big gigs that uh, were going at the time over the years, you know, we got got better and better. And and um, in those days, uh, Jade was was very much um, certainly a, a dance band, um, but we used to do a lot of things that nowadays you you wouldn't consider. You know, we do did a lot of Bowie, we did uh, uh, Doobie Brothers, we did um, uh, you know a, a lot of bands that people didn't necessarily. Um, play uh, there, there, and then uh, as a regular regular stint. Um, but there were there were other bands, some other bands that were doing a similar sort of sort of thing, but in a slightly different genre, which were people um, Masterant, Masterant composed of um, well uh, Tito Cipollina, Aurelio Danino, uh, and um, they those guys, you know, they were they were really fantastic. Uh, the way that they Douglas McMahon um, and uh, Clive uh, Delaware, I think the other one was, um, and and their harmonies and their so you know I absorbed all of that and it was very difficult not not to be influenced by that you know. And when you look back on the, the local scene now, it's more accessible. Obviously nowadays you can share material or even just see a band anywhere pretty, pretty much. What was it like? Obviously when you jump into the scene yourself and always trying to get gigs. Obviously nowadays social media plays a big part where you can just. Right to the band, okay, would you want to play at the Ivy or Rock and Roll? Yeah. What yeah. was it like back then? So, yeah, so, so we were very um, intrinsically linked, shall we say, to the, to the youth clubs. Yeah. Um, because, uh, and I think that had it not been for the youth clubs, we probably wouldn't have existed. Because they, we had a, an arrangement that they would allow us to have, um, you know, access to a, a rehearsal room. Yeah. If we played for the youth, um, you know, maybe a couple of times a year or two or three times a year, free of charge, which we which we gladly we saw it as a fantastic um, arrangement. So a lot of the gigs that we played in those days was really pushed by the youth clubs, uh, and um, there were lots of youth clubs that were very very active. So so that was a, that was a, a main influencer of of how the young people got to know about about the bands and when they were playing. Would you say word of mouth plays a big played a big part back then as well? The sorry, like word of mouth in particular. Like oh yeah, uh, I mean um, that that I suppose that that's still the same the same today, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, friends get together, but I think the youth club scene um, allowed for that to occur more yeah. often, you know. So that that was your Facebook in those days. Yeah. Um, and the transition as well when you think about it, obviously, because once they see you once, they want your oyster, then. You performed at Mr. Bolter and uh, all these other shows, big events. There wasn't GMF, there wasn't a national day even. So. Yeah, exactly. So, so in those days, suddenly the youth, the youth scene was, um, was, was great. And then, of course, what happened was that as you, as you got uh, better and, and started to, to branch out, then you got into the more serious um, you know, uh, dance uh, uh, circuits that yeah. you, you had a huge um, forces... Um, uh, dancing here where, you know, obviously at the time, you know, money was no object. They used to put up these fantastic, fantastic gigs. And, and we, we eventually became one of the top 
um, bands that uh, that they used to call on uh, for you know all the big big dues that they used to have. So that that was really really good. And when you look back at the transition, because you obviously had um, Daniel Messina and then you had obviously Ron Israel, then eventually writing lyrics for you guys in originals. What was that like transition like? Because at the end of the day, people wanted maybe your songs if they had them for the first time. Yeah, uh, I mean we so as Jade we had already um, done a few a few uh, songs that we wanted to try and and push and try and uh, and actually uh, promote to to some of the Spanish record companies and and that in actual fact started in the earlier version of, of Jade in in nineteen seventy seven we took to a trip to to Madrid uh, to try and and push our our music that was how the only way that you could do it in, the, in those days. Um, then after that, um, we uh, again thanks to the clubs uh, and the and the youth um, uh, network that that we had, the room that we had we converted into a into a demo studio. Right. So um, you know, and the famous Porter Studio came out. So we we just pushed you know we we dived in into actually creating our our own songs. Um, once we had actually already had a good good experience of that, and we did quite quite a number of things, um, we sort of like got a, a few different people um, in. So at that time, I'd say um, there was Lowry, Ernest, Pepe, uh, and myself who were really the the core from the original uh, Jade. Uh, and then uh, you know we sort of like we used to team up with Brian Torres and with Johnny Victor. Um, every so often, you know, there was nothing, there was always something loose about that yeah. ar ar arrangement. Um, we did a big stint in, um, in the Barrel House, which was an old haunt of all the, all the bands and, and a really, really uh, in place to, um, to, to play. Uh, and we recorded, um, which I still have at home, um, but uh, not worthy, not worthy to put on air. Uh, in a whole live session that we did there in 1979, recorded by by Stephen Cumming. Um, but you know, so we were we were going in in in, in the we had the dance uh, piece, and then we were started going into the jazz sort of like yeah. fusion type of thing because you know Johnny was musically trained. Um, he had a lot of experience. Brian was an amazing pianist, again, not a lot of experience, both of them from, from Glasgow Creation, who had been away um, touring in, 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 in Spain and in France for many, many, many years. And then, um, you know, all of this gelled together yeah. to where we actually put together some, some demos. Um, and we happened to have a couple of songs that had actually come from Guy and from, from Ronnie. I'm sorry for the roundabout yeah, um, explanation, but, but um, Guy and Ronnie were fantastic, fantastic people, you know, apart from being amazing composers uh, and, uh, you know, Ronnie, bless his soul, and unfortunately passed away. Uh, he used to be an amazing lyricist, you know, yeah. um, uh, as well. So... These guys came from a background of festivals. They used to compose a lot of music for festivals, and they were very successful in 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 that sense. Um, and I I think that they that that they really um, you know it was really a, a fantastic experience for us to say you know you've got a couple of songs yeah. that that you want to. But one one of the things that we did though was we wanted to try and give it our own 
feel our own arrangement, you know. And I think that um, from our perspective, uh, we were technically at, at a level that we could actually shape these songs into yeah. something quite unique. So, um, you know, Niña no me comas el coco, for example, was, was, was a, an original version that was given to us with a guitar and a voice. The melody was there, and, and the, yeah. but then we turned that into a bit of a scar type of um, thing, which, which then musically uh, was, was, uh, was much, uh, much rich, richer. But you had to be there to compose the song yes, and yeah. compose the lyrics and, and try and... And there were, there were many others um, uh, like that, you know? Uh, when you look back at Jade, like you mentioned, the songs in particular that Ronnie and Guy wrote, it's mostly the most simple of things, but it sounded good. Because, like you said, when you know what I'm going to say, Popo, and it's like, what they went to? Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you know, we were... So we were we were dipping in and out of, of, of various things. We obviously had this, um, and earlier than, than that, we, we were composing uh, a lot of our own our own music, which um, some of it had a very traditional feel, and other other things we were doing um, were very uh, you know film music type yeah. oriented, you know, and the, and the, and they were complicated pieces and, and that. So one of the tracks that that I, that um, I wanted you to um, to, to play is is a, a a piece that we that we put together uh, called Prelude to Sunrise, which is possibly the, the piece that we spent um, a great deal of time in putting together. It was a bit like um, the Shine on Your Crazy Diamond yeah. version, us because it had three or four different parts that were very uh, technically quite um, quite quite great, um, and we never recorded that. So a couple of years ago, I got to at home and I tried to put the, uh, a version of this part one yeah. um, which which uh, is a, a, a taste of the sort of stuff that we were doing at the time and it's great as well because it was well received and people obviously like even to this day people are still responsive to your music which we'll get to for the next song but this particular song no this was this was an unsigned and un, unrecorded number but I thought it would be good to try and actually put it out there uh, as an example of the sort of thing that we were that we were doing because yeah. it's so different to what we did eventually when the, when the, when Niña no me comes el coco came out which was more uh, us trying to deviate the style of what we had into a more commercial yeah. um, type of music that would be accepted uh, particularly in Spain yeah. and in all of this, all, all of that as you know came about um, uh, you know, we were we had a, a relationship. In fact, Guy and and, uh, and uh, Ronnie had a relationship with a guy called Salvador Colón, um, and through that contact, we managed to get him to listen to a couple of the numbers. Yeah. And the the Niña no me el coco had already been uh, demoed. He liked them. And he said, yeah, fine, you know, I've got a record company, let's go and, and do some recordings in, in Malaga. And at the time, you know, it was, Brian wasn't with us, Johnny was, uh, and, and we, we just gelled into, into a band and went through the whole, um, really, recording the LP. Uh, that is the Ahora Que LP in, in those days, but uh, yeah. So we're going to play Prelude to Sunrise now, and obviously we'll... It's a treat for those who have never even heard it, or even for the ones that did at the time, so we'll play that next.
memories? Yeah, absolutely, and and uh, it, um, it it's it's. I mean, I have I have at home a uh, I would call it a document more than anything else of exactly the different parts and what goes where, and and we we always. Um, were hoping to have the opportunity to actually put it together and play and play it live. Yeah, I mean, um, it was it was just unbelievable because obviously we were we were popular at that time, the dancing and, the, and you know we did all the various different uh, things, you know, the youth clubs, the, the pubs, and so, and so forth. At the time, there weren't that many pubs, but this particular pub, the Parallel House, was was quite an in thing to to do. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, this whole thing exploded, and we had articles in the newspaper, and articles in the in the um, in in the newspaper in Algeciras, and we we did interviews in in um, in Algeciras radio, which were you know uh, out to or you know virtually you know the whole Andalusia, uh, and um, and th- this was something that that I think um, you know we 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 weren't expecting. Uh, it was it was clear that we weren't expecting that, um, and um, but nevertheless, you know, we said, look, we've got to give this a, the, our best shot, uh, and um, you know, sooner rather than later, the Norme Comercial Coco was in um, was in the charts, uh, went into number twenty one, um, you know, to see that record. Uh, in the same charts as people like Elton John and Michael Jackson and all the rest of it, you know, was uh, was just unbelievable. Um, obviously, you know, the 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 the, the record company um, tried to push the, the the record as much as they possibly could, uh, and off that, you know, came um, you know uh, a little bit of touring that we did, uh, and 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 it was it was it was great because we got a a lot of focus that we. Uh, Perhaps weren't expecting at the, at the, when we started out. One of the highlights, I dare say, like you guys that did it, it was the Mr. Volta, and on that Mr. Volta, back with the Lucia was on the lineup as well. So how great was it? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, this was this was around about that time. I think around eighty two, eighty three, possibly. Um, and and like many of the things that we got involved, uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the, the 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 people that knew us knew that we were versatile and. Um, I'll always remember that that night because um, I so vibrations were playing that night as well as mm-hmm. as, as artists uh, and as well as Paco de Lucia uh, and I played with the vibrations as well because we used to do one number that I used to <laughs> play with them, which was um, uh, Toccata yep. uh, and um, and I played played with them that 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 one night, but then um, you know obviously. The highlight of the show was was Paco de Lucia, and I mean, I didn't get a chance to to speak to him, um, you know, I, I, after uh, he he performed. But but in the afternoon, when we were setting up and that sort of thing, um, you know, we had a, a a fantastic opportunity to you know speak to the man, and he was very humble. Um, and then in the evening, we t- we took a photo with him, which uh, I'll always uh, always cherish. He's an amazing. Amazing guitarist, you know. It's great as well because he was already a legend then, isn't it? And when I look back now, he's almost thirty years later. It's still yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's uh, it was an amazing, amazing experience that night. And obviously, you mentioned vibrations. Who like who'd look no further to local music legends, someone like vibrations with William Gomez and yeah, I mean, um, you know, William Gomez uh, again, 
amazing uh, musician composer um, and um, you know I had the good fortune to 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 have played with him so I, I think I'm uh, I've been very fortunate in that in that respect. Yeah, and obviously the Judah and then John Victor joined them eventually as well. Yeah. Victor Francis, etc. Yeah. I mean, I, I only did one song, so yeah. I have to I have to uh, yeah. I have to clarify that. I mean, the Johnny and uh, Pepe Pau then went on to into Vibrations and and went on their own way to do their own. Um, you know, Vibrations obviously was quite successful at that at one point. And obviously the honor is always there. It's something to look back on very fondly at that. So we want to play one of the songs from Jade, which recently went viral in Mexico, of all places. <laughs> yeah, so how did that happen? So, we, we, we are still trying to find out ourselves. Um, yeah, so um, I, I, I got up, I mean, I keep in contact with, with, with Johnny and, and Canadine, and, um, and all of a sudden, you know, we had this approach from, from these guys who were playing, uh, were DJs from, from Mexico, and they were playing... Um, you know this this number, no queda nada, uh, and I just it was surreal, you know. Yeah. And then they sh- they showed you a shot of the dance floor, and it was really really packed, you know. And there's a video on YouTube as well, people yeah. dancing along. Yeah. So um, so you know it goes to show that music never dies, and it's always there, and something could happen uh, to it. Not not that I think anything else will happen with with it, but it's a it's a nice uh, feeling to know that. Some of the music that you composed yeah. actually is out there. You know? Not only so ended up in Mexico as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't you find it in a thrift shop or something? I believe that's what yeah. he found it in a thrift shop or something like. Yeah. Know? So the the story goes that he was looking for new music. This DJ was looking for new music, and, and he went into one of the record shops and started looking possibly for the cheapest records that they could get. And he came across this the the Aurake album. How the hell he got to Mexico? I have no idea. Um, and then obviously the, he must have looked at all the tracks and and, and listened to this particular one, uh, which um, you know, uh, like like everything on that on that LP, it's got my name on it and Salvador Polong, but yeah. ultimately uh, everything was a team effort, you yeah. know. Yes. Uh, Brian chipped in to to do a, lo- a lot of the things, so we all shaped it. Um, but but you know, who would say that now? within the last year that's actually gone viral in Mexico it's just uh, surreal one of those things one of those wonders in life I guess so we're going to play Nogan Another by the Apollo Chain enjoy Puedo 
It's played in Mexico. People are still dancing along to it. People still listen to it today. So it's still relevant. Put it that way. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. One of those things. We'll, we'll like. We'll never know. So progressing on OCJ, I wouldn't say like you can compare them. Or you can compare you guys pretty much to what Jetstream is today. You guys were everywhere. From I remember growing up, and you guys performed at Sax, which many people remember fondly. You were the house band there for a long time. On the Saturday, OC Globe was on the Friday. So what's that memory of us having? A steady gig every single day. Yeah, I mean, and, but the, it was a steady gig, but at the same time, it was an unusually steady gig in the sense that uh, an unusual steady gig in the sense that um, you know I used to I used to be at home, on, say on a on a Saturday, uh, and I would go to to have a nap uh, and wake up at, at ten, for example, in the evening, yeah. and then get ready uh, to go to sax at eleven to start playing at twelve. <laughs> uh, you know, and it started at, at midnight, and and uh, and obviously we played until three, three thirty, uh, at night. And it was amazing because um, we sort of like uh, that was mostly uh, Brian, uh, Torres, Lowry, and and myself. Uh, we had actually sort of like decided, look, if we're going to do something, we'll do it as a as a three piece, uh, and um, that made us a lot more tighter. Yeah. Uh, musically um, the other thing that we had the good fortune that Brian Torres uh, as, as amazing as a musician he, he is um, used to play the, the, the piano and used to play the bass at the same time and uh, you know I mean his, his, his left hand uh, I, I'd say that the, both his hands is completely ambidextrous yeah. uh, and um, you know I, I, I don't know how he does it but it's it was an amazing thing to see, and there used to be musicians who used to go up and just to watch him, you know, and how yeah. the hell he did this, you know. Yes. Um, but the band obviously um, sounded incredibly tight, incredibly tight. And the other thing that we did, or one of the first bands at the time, who, you know, we we were we were able to put everything through um, speakers, so when you heard us, 
you you heard a like a record type of thing, yeah. you know, and not not like a, a live uh, band. It was it was all mic'd up. Everything went to the PA, and for three guys, we used to make um, quite a quite a good good noise. Quite a lot of the magic. <laughs> and obviously, you know, like looking back, it's a new generation of fans as well. Yeah, uh, I mean, um, you know, I, I I we went in there and did two different stints. Um, on the second stint, you know, my my daughter used to go and 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 see me play, you know, because she she was was allowed out by by that time, and and there was a time when you know those sort of things. I mean, not not that I, not that I, we kicked in because my my daughter, but you you felt that you were a little bit moving away yeah. from what the youngsters um, wanted, and it was a different type of of, of music. So. Um, so we we went back onto the dance uh, uh, scene. Uh, we did a couple of residencies here and there, um, and then uh, I think it was around two thousand and two that um, we we sort of like took a three month break, and I think we're still on it. Yeah, <laughs> sixteen years later, but never say never. That's really the key. When you look back on obviously in those days, I noticed you see the evolution of what local music became. I want to say maybe in the early two thousands to present days when. More people got, were getting into it a lot more because it was more accessible. Obviously, the GMS back then were around, and obviously everything else. What was the evolution like for you to witness, even like bands like Glow, etc.? Yeah, and the, I think, um, and I want to make this this point because I think it's extremely extremely important. First of all, obviously, the work that you guys are doing, I think, is 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 amazing. I think it it, it is um, a a very important part of of. Uh, of gelling all of this together. I think the fact that we have a National Day Rock concert and the opportunity of people to actually um, potentially play in, in the MTV or GMF yeah. uh, gives artists uh, a an objective, you know? Yeah. It gives the people uh, and, and the youngsters something to say, you know what, I wanna, I wanna be up there. Um, Read an article that just as a, uh, as a as an aside. You know, read an article about about Gibson and the decline of Gibson guitars, and, and there was this uh, guy from Grand Guitars in New York who said, "What we need is is actual um, superstars playing the guitar yeah. to actually go and inspire uh, musicians." Well, we actually have what inspires younger musicians by having these national day concerts. Yes, and obviously, the venues, the other smaller venues, they're, they're fine. But for bands to be able to aspire to that, I think that's absolutely fantastic. We didn't have that in, the, in those days, but when the first national days came out, which, which um, I, I did a, a few of them with different configurations and that, I, that was an amazing, amazing experience. Okay. So, um, you know, anybody in the audience would have would have probably said, you know what, I'm gonna try my best and yeah. and, and and be up there one day. And it's when you mentioned the girls in particular, obviously part of the Layla Rose, but now with Layla, Jonathan, Trist, Victor, etc., and and Tristan. So when you look back as to what Layla is trying to achieve in, in a good way and a bad way at the same time, because Jonathan mentioned to us, obviously he's there to give her moral support. But at the same time, she he wants to see her excel, and having you guys behind her is probably the best thing that could ever happen to her. I think the fundamental thing is that you have to have the passion for the music, and you have to have the ear for the music, and you have to have the the desire to constantly improve things and, yeah. and actually create. 
Um, if that's not there, then no matter how much support you're going to give, um, I mean, ultimately, uh, it's not it's not going to happen. She has a lot a, a lot of talent, absolutely a lot of talent, um, and obviously, if if at this point in time um, there are people around her who can shape things in a way that um, you know maybe she might not be able to do on on yeah. her own. Despite the fact that you know she's written these songs and the songs, our songs are there for for you know they can be played on a guitar and they're going to be equally as uh, as as relevant. I think the fact that he's in a band situation now um, ma- makes it uh, that that little bit extra and yeah. uh, go go that little bit extra and and, and obviously you know what we've done uh, with her since since then I think is um, is fantastic. And obviously when you you can see the evolution sometimes like from maybe one month and then she performs again like when she did at the MTV Jubbles Calling I hadn't seen her perform in a few months and then you see that evolution within months you know she's wanting to get better all the time yeah I think um, there's a there's a desire there like I said you know a desire to create to improve uh, and obviously you know uh, it's something that um, that I'm sure um, Jonathan is very pleased about and she's very pleased about yeah, it's in the DNA <laughs> well we certainly all are so it's a fun project all around you, uh, like from what yeah. I've seen as well. Absolutely. So we're going to play Johnny's Lake from MTV Jewels of Calling, so enjoy guys. Yeah. 
And we're back with part four. Obviously, individuals are calling came out of nowhere. I think in a way for Layla, I don't think she even expected it to happen. But obviously, it was there. She, I think she played it. And I want to. I don't want to say the word because it's it's a family show. But she played like really well, and she was focused one hundred percent. Yeah, um, yeah, it was an amazing experience for for everybody really. Um, I think, I think the fact that we were up on the main stage um, had its advantages and disadvantages in the sense that you know you're up first. And there's a crowd, there's a limited crowd there. It's a huge place. Yeah. Um, there, were, you know, there was a crowd all all all, all around, but um, it's not the same as having you know maybe two or three hundred people just in front of you or four hundred or whatever the, the, the number is, um, uh, as as we've had for example in May Day and that sort of yeah. thing. But um, the experience on on it on its own um, was fantastic, uh, and we we really gelled as a as a band there and obviously all these songs we're in the process of uh, of recording and, yeah. and and doing what um we probably didn't do in, in with this producer sunrise track that i told you earlier about but when you look at that evolution and obviously when she does perform and what what amazed me more than anything else was that she was obviously you mentioned the crowd you had not a friend on the state on, on, in the crowd you had adrian pisarello just to see her just give that moral support you know that's at the end of the day what, what keeps us alive and keeps us going yeah, I mean the the support is really what what you hope for on the day, and and, and uh, we we definitely got it uh, on yeah. on that day. So yeah, fantastic. So all around, obviously, you mentioned the recording process, and obviously once it, that's obviously done, what do you see that make me eventually? I I honestly think if you play Layla one one track and then play someone from Casey Musgraves or anything else who she's inspired by, you can't really tell them apart in every sense of the word. You know, she's got it right now at the moment. Yeah, I mean. Uh, I don't really know, um, or I, my my knowledge of of country isn't that um, that deep, but um, but you could tell that, that there are influences there, but at the same time that there are there's a lot of raw original um, stuff. So um, yeah. that, that's that's amazing. And she's in the right place at the right time. Let's just say that at the moment. So we're going to play you one of the tracks. What we're going to talk about it first, but it's one of the tracks that you mentioned from the demos from Jade. Oh yeah, and obviously that track in particular. What's it like to yeah. look back on the demos? So, uh, I, I mean, when you when when we talked about the show, uh, I I I wanted to try and throw something in that maybe was a little bit more uh, of a uh, you know of something that perhaps people may not have known or not have heard of. Um, so. During this whole recording process that we did in in Malaga, we we wrote um, songs as as we were recording because we needed to fill this this uh, LP, uh, and we also put together uh, a couple of numbers that you know the recording company would then look at and say these ten or whatever. Right? Yeah. But we had to put together more of them, and there was one particular number which didn't fit into the in, into the LP. Which um, was also um, a, a number that was being earmarked for somebody else, um, and um, at the time, uh, I don't know if the listeners will will know, but there was a there was a, a massive band, uh, well, a massive uh, uh, band, you want to call it, yeah, um, called called Mos who did the yeah. famous Eres Tu and, and did the Eurovision and all the rest of it, um, and the brother of one of the Mosedales singers. Um, was a, a guy called Iñaki Uranga 
uh, and um, he was trying to to uh, launch his solo career, uh, which you know was supported by all the Mossadadas yeah. people and and so forth. And he came out to Gibraltar, uh, and he liked this particular song that we that we had actually done through the, the connection of Salvador Colón, etc. Um, and he took it away and put it on his uh, first uh, first album, which was fantastic. Um, I mean, the album had, I think, at least one hit that he went around the whole of Spain with at the time. And then he did, I think he did a couple of albums after that. Uh, and then uh, Mosedades broke up and he went into um, El Consorcio, which yeah. is still um, going on today, which, uh, you know, and he's, he still sings with that, uh, with that uh, band and his sisters. Uh, but it was an amazing thing to all of a sudden have you know this number that we that, that we didn't make the LP and all of a sudden it's yeah. on somebody's um, uh, first uh, solo LP then and um, and did um, you know I I can't say it did extremely extremely well because to be fair we lost track of the of, of the song but we know that he he launched it and I I found it on the internet in some website. Uh, the other day so, so it's, <laughs> it, it was definitely done that's for sure so we'll let you introduce it and... yeah well uh, this is called uh, Dos Ojos Mirándote uh, and it was uh, composed by by Jade uh, and eventually taken up by uh, Iñaki Uranda so we'll leave the music to the talking for us so we'll be back with the final parts and obviously the final part is what I think everyone will be looking forward to so enjoy this
The most challenging one because at the end of the day so much has happened with this particular band which in a way created a monster i dare say when it happened at the first gigs and leading up to the chronology in august 2016 so t- tell us about jip floyd how that happened yeah so um jip floyd was something that occurred really um by accident you could say i think uh, as the stars aligned uh, in a national day I think it was 2012. Yeah. Uh, and um, I, it so happened that, I, you know, Griki, Chris Calderon, uh, and I, and I know Victor, they are basically part of my, well, they're, they're very good friends of, of, our, of our family and, and have been for, for, for many years. Um, and I knew them and I knew that they, they were musicians and so forth. Anyway, the fact is that eventually um, they, they, they sort of like putting together one of the super groups that, that, that you had uh, yeah. in, in those days in the National Day. And we were going to do a few backings for people. And, you know, I wasn't doing much at that time. Uh, it was very much a, a, a period of time where... I was sort of like disillusioned with, with, with music, where things were going. You're getting older as well, yeah. you know, and your life changes, your, 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 your circumstances at home change. So they decided, you know, to, um, to rope in this dinosaur uh, <laughs> to try uh, and, um, and, and get his guitar out of mothballs and, and start again. Um, and I said, look, you know, I'll, I'll do it, but um, I'd like to play, you know, comfortably now. Uh, and that was... That was a bit like, um, you know, if I'm going to die now, I might as well have to say that yeah. <laughs> I played comfortably that line. Yeah? Um, and, um, and so they said, yeah, fantastic. And what I didn't know is that we, they were so um, heavily into Pink Floyd, you know, and, they yeah. had, uh, you know, to the extent that they knew all the albums, all the arrangements, and I, I just couldn't believe myself, you know. And um, so, I mean, if I go back and I think about Pink Floyd, Pink Floyd was never the my number one band. You know, I had yeah. always had influences from the from the Eagles, from the Doobie Brothers, from um, a lot of rock. Um, uh, but certainly uh, Genesis, um, various others, um, Gino Vanelli, and there's a whole host of of of, of people. Um, but um, I, I I will never ever forget. The first time that I that I heard um, "Shining a Crazy Diamond," the album had just came out, so that's how old I am. Yeah. Um, and a friend of mine who was a, an audiophile at the t- um, uh, had actually one of these massive, massive speakers uh, systems in his house, and he put in his record player and he said, "You know, listen to this." We were listening to 
to Queen as well. They had, um, I can't remember what album it was, but they had also launched something else. And that first note on that Strat by David Gilmour just completely captivated yeah. me. You know? And you know, how the hell did he do that? You know? yeah. And what was behind it? And so I, I started following the, the, the band. Um, certainly for me, Dark Side of the Moon is, is, is by, by far the, the best album. And then obviously, um, you know, the others that came after that. But, um, and then so, to cast a long story short, we, we started talking about Pink Floyd in a, in a very sort of like relaxed way. And they already had plans of trying to see how they could do something with this music. And I said, oh, let's, let's do Dark Side of the Moon. In, in its entirety, and I said, you're joking, are you? Are you? What are you talking about? So, um, so it transpired from there that we said, look, we're going to do something yeah. Pink Floyd, with Pink Floyd music. We don't really know how it's going to go down, but let's, let's try and, and work towards it. So um, we, we got together uh, in a rehearsal studio, well, Ernest Borrell's, studio downstairs who um without whom you know we would never have been able to to do that um because in much the same way as you know a producer or anybody else you know gels the the band he he made the facilities available uh and we were are able to cram i can't remember how many people it was but it was probably like seven or eight people in in that room um rehearsing uh, for a gig that we didn't really know how it was actually going to go. But um, Chris Calderon, being the amazing creative guy that he, that he is, um, you know, put together all of these, these videos that he concocted from, I don't know, from YouTube and from various other places. And he, and he just put together, you know, what would eventually be a, a, a sort of like a, a, a show behind behind the band, yeah. which we wanted to more or less replicate what Pink Floyd were doing, but clearly you know we didn't have the money and we didn't have we, we had very limited resources. So anyway, the whole team got got together because uh, on this and 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 when I I say team, uh, you know. And not only Ernest, but but um, you know there were several other guys who were going to be behind the scenes, clicking the videos. You know, uh, Shane Shane Soiso, uh, was there. So this all formed part of the what we called eventually the Jip Floyd family. Yeah. And we did this uh, one gig um, in June 2013 uh, yeah. that I think really caught everybody by surprise. Um, probably caught us by surprise as well. I think so. Yeah. Um, and we had things that had never been seen before, you know, apart from the visuals and the music, you know, I mean, um, uh, Ernest was the one who was in charge of throwing the Spitfire down the, down the middle of the room, you know. Uh, that, that was an amazing, amazing thing. Um, and then we repeated that. So due to popular demand, we repeated that um, a few months later for two nights and it was sold out again uh, and obviously we said look you know um, we, we need to look at how we can do something a little bit more bigger because there are people that, that want to see us even even then we, we, we sold the, the, the house out uh, twice there are people that want to see us yeah uh, and we started looking for for an alternative it, it didn't really happen and the next gig that we did was pretty much um, the GMF yeah. In 2015, which 
uh, well, so we couldn't play GMF at two o'clock in the afternoon or three o'clock yeah. in the afternoon. It would just have been such a shame, you know, um, because our 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 performance was not just the music and the musicians and the band and all the paraphernalia that we had around it. It was also the visuals, you know. Yeah, of course. Uh, and without that, it was just practically not worth it. Uh, and you know, we just said, look, you know, we 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 prefer not to do it than actually do it badly. But in 2015, we did it, and um, and we I think people saw a really really good good show, which then led to us thinking about the chronology event, which was an even bigger uh, milestone for us, you know try and put on our own show uh, and um, and that went incredibly well obviously the technology there was was a lot better we brought people in from Germany to, to film the, the the concert we bought um, you know the, the, the inflatable pig and the headmaster which in fact uh, our good friend Ernest there was uh, and, and, the, and the plane was certainly um, coordinated uh, yeah. very ably by, by, by him and his, and his team uh, and um, you know, people don't realize how much work it, what goes into that sort That's of true. thing. You know, apart from the the rehearsal, um, you know, I think we spent about two days trying to get the Spitfire to work um, properly. You know, uh, something like that. Um, and um, I, I wasn't there for two days, but the, you know, Ernest and and Kriki, who was who would just uh, try this and try that, and, you know. And it worked perfectly on the night, but you have to be there and you have to um, put that that effort in. So, um, so yeah, um, and um, well, the culmination of all of that is the fact that we've got it on record. We've got it. Oh God, on record. We've got it. On, <laughs> we've got it on film. We've got it on um, on, on, on digital audio, uh, and it's a, an amazing memory. And one of those things with the chronology was people were still wanting more. And very soon, this is your event. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Me. I, I think, I think you we you have to accept, and I, I think this is something that we accept that Gibraltar is a very small place, and what you can't do is drum, you know, uh, bang a drum, uh, you know, very often, very uh, con consecutively, because then yeah. you lose um, the the element uh, that 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 you want, because if you play every year or twice a year or something like that it's just not the same no. um, and you, you get to a point where you want to do the best thing possible the best experience possible you get a huge kick out of people enjoying themselves and you enjoying yourself as well and you know not only that but every time we do something we take the the, the step you, you know the technologically we take we take things up a few notches um, which is where we are uh, now, so obviously the last question will be before we sign off. What's the future of the local scene music looking like for you? Um, I think there's there's well, first of all, I mentioned the good work that you guys are doing, and I think that's you essential. Certainly, um, there needs to be uh, opportunities, which which they are at the moment. And there's a lot of really good youngsters coming out. Uh, I was um, judging, as you know, the singer songwriter competition. Yeah. And there were some people coming up on there that I think will eventually turn into some 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 great performers. Uh, from a band's perspective, I don't. I think 
we probably have more bands per square mile than any other place in the world. Yeah, because I don't said it to us the same way. You know, and I have to say, quality musicians and quality people. So, I am, you know, you can have bands, but the, the, here we have, I don't know what it is, but obviously we have, you know, they have the ability to rehearse in places like the Rock on the Rock, which I think uh, are very influential in... Uh, in bringing uh, uh, people up and giving them opportunities, and I think it's 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 a great place to 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 have. Um, but I I uh, I'm very encouraged by the people that are, that are coming out, um, and obviously the what other bands are doing, like you know Jetstream are obviously um, doing their own thing. They they've done very well. They're usually very good on on not only on the musical side but also on the marketing side, and also and they they have a polish to their to to their to their sound that um, you know, but there are other people that you know I played many many years with Stephen McLaren and Giles uh, Ramirez uh, and, and and people like that who you know you, whilst they're not actively playing right now they're amazing amazing uh, talent yeah. uh, and then obviously you've got offshoots from there Jesse McLaren as well so, and obviously Layla and there's there's all this little crowd of people who are uh, up and coming and very encouraged by that so we'll leave it at that we'll play Comfortably Numb by Jip Floyd Chris thank you for joining us it's been a pleasure to talk to you for you're welcome hour. and obviously we'll be back in 7 and obviously we always say support your local talents why? because when you do you're keeping local music alive thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week is there anybody out there